God loves the world. <laughs> you know, God loves the world in 2020. God loves this pandemic-plagued world. God loves the nurses who are putting their lives on the line every day. God loves people who are alone in their hospital rooms. God loves leaders who are faced with complex decisions every day. God loves children who don't understand why they can't go see grandma. God loves grandma. God loves the world. God loves politically divided America. God loves Democrats. God loves Republicans. God loves those who can't take either one of those labels on. God loves the soldiers who protects them all. God loves Donald Trump. God loves Joe Biden. God loves Mike Pence. God loves Kamala Harris. God loves citizens, immigrants, and refugees. You know, God loves Wilson County. God loves the couple who just bought their first house, and God loves the guy who's putting up his tent by the interstate tonight. God loves Mount Juliet. God loves Lebanon. God loves Hermitage. God loves Smyrna. God loves your family. God loves your mom when she's driving you crazy. God loves your son, even though he hasn't called you. God loves your husband. And God loves you. And the way that God chose to show his love for the world was by sending his one and only son. And God sent his one and only son as a baby boy in a place called Bethlehem to a young, to a young woman named Mary and a guy named Joseph. Where did I lose you? <laughs> Was it the immigrant part or the political party part? No. Oh, 2020. <laughs> yes. God loves the world in 2020. God loves the world in 2020, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's crazy, isn't it? But yes, Jesus coming to the world in Bethlehem, in a stable, in a feeding trough 2,000 years ago is what proves God loves this world even this year. There's a scripture in Romans that says, God showed or proved his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. So Jesus coming, the baby in the manger, is the proof of the love. It's really all there in that Romans verse that God has this great love for the world, and he demonstrates it, he proves it, he shows it by sending Jesus to die for us in our current condition while we are sinners. Not when our world was better, not when our world was fixed, but while our world was broken, while our world is in turmoil, while we are yet sinners, Christ comes. What does that mean? It means that God loves the world. God loves this world, our world, and that means God loves me. And that means God loves you. And all that is written into the greatest story in the world, and the story's true. And we know it's true. The proof is because of Jesus. All that I just said, uh, that's what some have called the gospel in a nutshell or the good news in a nutshell, that God loves the world so much 
that he would send his one and only son, and if you believe in him, you don't have to die. That's John 3.16, but it's the heartbeat of the story of God in the whole scriptures that God loves the whole stinking world. (laughs) That is a love like no other, a love so beyond the scope of what I could muster up on my greatest day of love, as wide as I can imagine it, my love is still limited. Most days, my love barely extends to the edge of my home. And yet, God's love, God's love is for the whole world. And he shows his love by sending his son as a baby boy. So we're going to look at this sending, the sending of the son. It takes place in the days of Caesar Augustus, when Caesar Augustus issued a census of the whole Roman world, which also happened to be the time when a person named Quirinius was governor of that region of Syria. Now, the reason it's important that Luke, in his story, includes the emperor Augustus and the governor Quirinius is to remind us some 2,000 years later that this story is situated in human history, in real time, in a real place, with real people in the real world. We aren't playing a fantasy game with our God story. Check your history books because you'll find this real place in this real time when God entered in. And then Luke tells us about Joseph and Mary. So the first part there, Luke's opening is very historical and very specific to situate it in human history. But the Mary and Joseph part, though it's a real part of the story, is also this place where you can tell he's inviting us to feel this as real people because Mary and Joseph and what they're going through seems like something we could be going through. Mary and Joseph are doing what a lot of us have to do uh, during Christmas. They have loaded up some belongings and they are traveling to their home place. They're not getting to celebrate (laughs) this event uh, where they live day to day, but they have to go back to where their grandfathers are from. This is why some of you are loading up your minivan to go back to Toledo. Do you want to go to Toledo? No, you don't. You have to go. (laughs) It's where your family is from. Nothing against Toledo. I'm sure it's nice. But Joseph was from the family of David, and that goes way back, but it's still where he's from. And so in this census, he has to go to the town of David, which is called Bethlehem, and his fiance say is pregnant, but not by him. It's complicated. And he's taking her in her ninth month of pregnancy on this journey because that's what he has to do. And when they get there, there are no guest rooms available for them. So they're ushered into this place where the animals are kept. And so we picture a stable, but in Bethlehem in that time, it was most likely like a lower place in the home, oftentimes a cave where animals are kept. And when Mary's firstborn is born, he's a son and she places him in a manger, which is where animals eat their food. (laughs) God loved the world, he showed his love by sending his son, and that story that I just told you is how his son enters the world, the proof of the great love. But if you listen to it, you read it, it's filled with normal pieces of love. You might even be able to see your normal life in it, a busy time, you have to travel, the world is a mess. We have real named emperors and governors and what they decree affects what we have to do. We see Joseph's love for his family, so he's going to Bethlehem. Joseph loves Mary. Oh, surely Joseph loves Mary. He loves her as his fiance. He loves her as an expectant mom. And they love their baby. It's God's baby, but it's their baby too in that crazy way. 
We see their love for the baby wrapping him up in cloths, and we see their love in placing him in the best crib that they had. They didn't need a fancy place because they had love. And so it's a simple and personal story, and it's a specific and it's a historical story, but what we know is that this is the way that God chose to show love to the whole world. And for centuries now, this story of God's love for the world has caused people to stop what they're doing and worship the baby boy. And the reason is, is because he's worthy. Because he came not just to Bethlehem or first century Israel in the time of Caesar Augustus. He comes to the world in 2020 during a pandemic in the time of Donald Trump. And so however you're hearing this message today, sitting on your couch, driving down the road to Toledo, you're doing it because something about this Jesus has captured you. Some of us have already said that he's Lord. Some of us have said, no emperor, no president has the highest seat in my allegiance. That belongs to Jesus, the baby that was born in Bethlehem. Or maybe you aren't there yet, but something still about this Jesus is captivating you enough to look up the sermon on YouTube or to stop for a moment now on Facebook. My wife, Rachel, and I were in Bethlehem a couple of years ago, and on our first day in Israel, our first stop was at what is called the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. And this spot in Bethlehem has been guarded and churches built on top of it for, you guessed it, 2,000 years. The church is built over the place where they say Jesus was born. This church is the oldest continuous place for the worship of Jesus in the world. But it's known, the Church of the Nativity, is known for being very, very crowded. (laughs) Because people come from all over the world to this spot. And when Rachel and I were there, we were waiting in line. We were struck by how the whole world seemed to be around us in this crowded line and how we were all sort of pushing together and actually how pushy some of the people were, even in different languages. It was crowded, and so folks were trying to make their way into a tiny door that's down a small flight of stairs. Uh, Literally, people are pushing, arguing, and at times in this line, yelling at each other. It was just like a normal Christmas at Walmart, but this is Bethlehem. (laughs) Steps away where the people of Bethlehem have held the traditional site of where Jesus was born, we're pushing each other to try to get there. And when we finally, my wife and I, made it into the cave under the ground, it was even more crowded, a tiny cramped space guarded by two Palestinian soldiers with assault rifles guarding the spot. There's a star engraved on the ground where they say Jesus was born, and then close by is the place where they say the manger was, where the baby Jesus was actually laid. We didn't get that close of a look at it before we were rushed out. But we were staying in Bethlehem, and later that night after dinner, my parents who were with us and Rachel and I, we went for another walk down the cobblestone streets of Bethlehem. The city was quiet now, dark, and we kept walking until we arrived at the church of the Nativity. The door was still open and the light was still on. And we walked in where in the morning there had been this line of hundreds of people. Now there was no line. And where before there were a bunch of people pushing just to get in that door, we walked right to the door and right into that little cave. It was just as it had been before, except it was empty, one Palestinian soldier. And without speaking, Rachel and I fell down on our knees 
and we placed our hands on where they say the manger was, where they say Jesus lay as a baby. And we worshiped him that night in Bethlehem. Not because it was a special trip to be there, but because God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus. While I was still a sinner, he sent Jesus so that I could live. So 2020 has been a heck of a year, (laughs) which is sort of a nice pastor way of saying it. But one thing hasn't changed. God still loves the world. God still sends his son. His name is still Jesus, and he is worthy. So that's it. That's my sermon for the last Sunday I get to preach in 2020. So I want to get it right. You are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy. The world is broken. It's 2020. But God loves the world, and God sent you, Jesus, to save us. And so, guys, we can put our attention towards all kinds of things. We can put our attention towards CNN or Fox News. We can put our attention towards the current emperor or the next one. We can fight and push and argue, but eventually we are told that in heaven and on earth and, on under, and under the earth, one day every knee will bow And every tongue will confess that Jesus, the baby boy that came to Bethlehem, is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. His name is Jesus. He is the Lord. And he is worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.